Hello and hi, welcome to another Slice of Sci-Fi. I'm Summer Brooks and with me today is the creator and showrunner of Sci-Fi Channel's new hit series, Reginald the Vampire. Harley Payton has joined us to talk about this, we're going to call it uh, a romantic horror comedy because there's just no other way. This can't be pigeonholed, this show. Uh, Tippy toes across several genres, comedy, horror, uh, interpersonal drama. Yeah, I'm not going to call it. I'm not going to call it soap opera, but there was a touch of that in there. there a bit. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we will talk about Reginald the Vampire and hopefully encourage people to uh, catch it on streaming and on demand and hope for. The quick announcement of a season two because the season, oh, <laughs> the season finale has already aired, so we aren't going to spoil anything, but we might come close. Hi, Harley. Hi there. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Now, first of all, how did you come up with this show's concept and convince people without hypnosis to 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 get this greenlit because this is just delightful yeah, yeah it's it's funny it's I, I had a meeting with a guy at bbc america one of those general meetings where you know you say how much you love them and they have they say how much they love you and then nothing happens so i had the general meeting really nice guy um uh, and i'm walking out the door and he says you know what there's a book that i read that they'll never make here, but I think it'd be perfect for you. And that was uh, a book called Fat Vampire by Johnny Truant. And so read the book. I have a partner in a, a Canadian production company, Jeremiah Chechik, and we optioned the book. And because we believed in it from the very beginning, and while there were changes made to it along the way, it was great source material for a series. And also because it just it created a world of vampires that I'd never seen before, and I've seen all of them. And, and gave me the opportunity to really kind of dig into that world and into these characters, many of whom were in the book, some of whom were not. So it started out that way, really. And we were, you know, taking it to various places. And a very smart producer said to me, you've got to go to sci-fi. This is what they're looking for. And they almost bought it in the room. So it was one of those lucky breaks where a guy mentions a book to me when my foot is halfway out the door. And, you know, six months later, um, I'm writing the first episode. So that's it's. It's been a great journey. I think, as is often the case, luck played a huge part in it. Wow. So in developing the series for television, what about the book were you eager to make sure stayed in the, the final show? And what did you need to change or, or had to tweak a little bit in order to make it you know, easier for television? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the and the book after all was called or is called Fat Vampire. It was it was much more focused at the start about body positivity and body shaming and bullying and really important issues which remain a subtext for our show. But as we started to kind of go through the season and we're doing all these episodes and as the romantic comedy aspect of it which doesn't exist in the book um, became more and more important. Actually, there were people at the network who were going, you know, we don't feel like the title accurately represents what it is you're doing. Um, and then there was there was this wonderful moment where someone said, look, it's Reginald the Vampire, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. How did that not work? 
So I'm going, well, okay. So you've now convinced me to change the title. But but I think it wasn't actually the wrong thing to do. I mean, I think that while those issues are very important early on, you know, by definition, as you move into series, as uh, Jacob kind of it starts to inhabit that character and he's more powerful and, you know, you start to move into different areas. So I think the main thing for me in adapting the book was to take the things that I love from it at the start and then try to kind of start to change things as we got more deeply into the romance aspects of it and who some of the various characters were. I mean, someone like Nikki, for example, who doesn't exist in the book. I mean, it was just coming up with things that, you know, that we would do, whether it was in the writer's room or I did by myself. But by the time we got to shooting and we had all our scripts by the time we did, you know, we, we had taken it to a place that we were all very happy with how, how the stories were being told. Talk about finding the cast, because some of those characters are just, they seem born to play that role. Yeah, I i always believe that the most, possibly the most important thing in making any television show is casting. I mean, because if you have the wrong cast, I don't care how good the script is, you know, or how good you direct it. And a lot of that is about luck. It's about who's available and how that's going to work. So you start with Reginald. And look, it's the show then was called Fat Vampire. I'm, we must have read a hundred different people, <laughs> and sci-fi was really tough. And they were they, you know, Grace Wu, who's the head of casting, a UCP, I guess, is where where she works there. But she was very tough, and it was like, no, that's not it, that's not it. And we thought we found him at one point. Nope, that's not it. And it was we were literally at one point just having a conversation about how we wanted to move forward because we hadn't found our Reginald yet. And the show, A Green Light, was cast contingent. And I think it was Grace who said, look, I've heard a rumor that Jacob Badlon might be available. And you should talk to him. And we did a Zoom with Jacob, fell in love with him. And it was just a lucky break that he was available, that he was looking, that he loved the scripts when he got them. And suddenly we've got Jacob in the show. And oh, by the way, when he came onto the show, look, I knew he had amazing comic timing from the Spider-Man movies, but that's all I knew. Right. I didn't I had no idea how good he was. And the odd thing is, is our first night of shooting was a very, very dramatic scene. And I was standing there watching him and thinking, oh, we're so lucky. I mean, because he's just such a good actor. <laughs> so that's an example of just how luck happens. And I'm telling you, you know, Maurice is another one with Mandela Van Peebles. We had gone through a lot of actors. We had a choice that we, we liked, but it wasn't quite there. And we weren't sure. And once again, oh, you know, this actor fell out of a deal that he was making at a network. And and, and so in, in more cases than I think usually happens, we found ourselves with sort of an 11th hour opportunity. And that was Mandela. Um, and oddly enough, with M. Hain, we'd gone through the process for Sarah. And there was one actress who I was absolutely convinced was Sarah. It was definitely going to be her. I couldn't be budged. Everyone did like her a lot. And then we had one of those, you know, last calls where it was just two actors reading the lines and we just all fell in love with them. And, you know, so that's, you know, that's that's the nice thing. I mean, someone like Aaron Buckholz, who plays Todd, who I think in many ways is sort of a breakout character for us. That was just we all knew it was him when we saw him and it didn't require a lot. He read for the part and we got him. So. <laughs> You know, but it's again, it's even getting like Kristen Park to play Nikki. That's one of those things where she just nailed it. You know, you and in the era of, of COVID and really just generally now, it, all the casting is done on tape or by way of Zoom. So, 
you know, it's it, it it can be very complicated. It's a little hard not being in the same room with the actors. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that we continued to uh, to be lucky from start to finish. And you know, knock on wood, I hope that continues because I've been in I've been in places and shows where that didn't work out. You know, where we weren't as lucky. So this was really a, a great experience for me when it comes to the cast. Well, seeing the finished prod product and how they seem to have gelled <laughs> uh, during filming and on screen is just amazing how how you get these pieces and then the pieces together make bigger magic and yeah. uh, this this seems like such a fun show to to shoot and to script what what has been other than casting your your biggest uh enjoyment your biggest joy well i mean one of the things and and people who've come to our set uh, and, and you know and to write articles or to interview people or whatever they always end up saying the same thing that they're amazed at just how much fun everyone is having and how much everyone enjoys each other's company and and i think that for me was such a pleasure and again it, and this was really a COVID shoot in the way that moving forward we wouldn't be. But in a COVID shoot, your actors do their scenes and they go to like a tent and they're isolated. And it's not the same thing where people are hanging around set and having fun in the same way that you usually would when you're making a TV show. But, you know, I got to say that it, and it starts with Jacob because Jacob was number one in the call sheet. He's in almost in every scene. I remember having a conversation with him early on in the process that, look, you know, in a Spider-Man movie, what are you shooting, a page and a half a day? Maybe two pages, maybe? Because we're shooting eight pages a day. We're shooting 10 pages a day. And I had a real concern about him burning himself out, that he needed to try to pace himself and find a way to get through it. Turns out he has boundless energy. <laughs> <laughs> close to getting tired it was ridiculous what an energizer bunny he is kind of you know racing around the set and he's having so much fun and again it starts at the top you know if number one in the call sheet isn't a happy camper or isn't a happy person generally or whatever or if their process is difficult i mean it, that tends to kind of flow downward but in our case everyone just had a great time and the cast were all became really good friends um, you know, it makes it even harder for me sometimes moving forward because I don't want to, I don't want to lose any of these characters and, you know, no spoilers, but there may be some deaths in our second season. And it's like, it's, it's really difficult because I feel so loyal to all of them because we all became so close during the, during the, um, during the production. Speaking of second season, is that a done deal? No, I wish. No, December is the hardest month. Um, I worked on Chucky and Don Mancini is a friend of mine and Don is going through the same thing, although their season finale has already aired. Our season finale, as you know, just did. Um, and, you know, we're waiting for sci-fi to make their decision. And that's, you know, and I, I feel pretty good and I feel pretty confident. I think the show did well. And, you know, you just have to hope that you get to a second one. But there are so many factors that play into that. And so many of them occur at a level well above my pay grade. So, you know, I have no idea. But I have been actually I spent this week uh, putting together the second season episode by episode. And that's a document that I'll be sharing with Sci-Fi shortly. And maybe that will also help as they kind of make the decision they have to make about what shows they want to bring back. And, uh, you know, I think we're in pretty good shape, uh, but, you know, I'll, it'll be my Christmas present. So here's hoping it's a good one. 
let's let's talk teasers for the potential season two. Other than the uh, the deaths you've already plotted out, schemed in your in your mind, what other things would you have fans look forward to? Well, as, at the end of the finale, there's a sort of coda where two mysterious strangers show up at the assessment in the aftermath. And there is a, a vampire there who we've gotten to know who is sort of injured and sort of crawling across the floor. And they introduce themselves as angels. And our origin story for vampires is that they were originally created by angels as descendants of Cain, which is something that we talk about during the season. So for her, this is a moment of great religiosity. Unfortunately, one of the angels takes out a sword, it turns into flames, and he cuts her head off. So in that moment, we put into play the idea that the angels have watched the vampire nation evolve over hundreds and hundreds of years and have now pretty much had it with their lack of progress. They really haven't managed to do anything worthwhile. So the angels are coming in season two to eradicate all vampires from the face of the earth, which, of course, will be a challenge for the newly empowered uh, deacon of the Council, Maurice, and, of course, Reginald, his uh, sidekick. So it'll be about angels in season two. And a lot of that comes from the book. But as is always the case, it's taking those things and using them as a springboard for other material. Um, and again, going back to the romantic comedy stuff that we love doing. So I think there's likely to be a love triangle uh, between a couple of our characters and Angel and an angel as we uh, as we move through the second season. But it is going to be, in a way, all about angels and that threat um, as we move toward another uh, pretty... Uh, uh, not violent, but tense con uh, conclusion. <laughs> How much material from the book do you have left? Uh, and was it a series or just the one? Well, that's Yeah, that's the great thing. I believe the author, Johnny Truant, who I've actually gotten to know really well, he sat in on the writer's room several times. Um, Johnny, I think, is finishing the seventh book, even as we speak. Um and so there's, you know, there's five more books for me to look at. And no, the second book, I, I never wanted to read beyond the season that I was running or creating. So I just read the second book a month ago and then started to look at that and see what we could use from it. And it, it really lays out nicely. And I always knew about the angels. So we did tease that at the end of the first season. But yeah, the, there's a wealth of material. And look, based on the way that we tend to, veer off in certain areas, particularly when it comes to creating these couples, I'm sure that as we get to, if we should be so lucky as to do a third or fourth season, we'll start to move even farther away from the books. I think that's likely. But the second season book actually has a really nice sort of narrative groove to it that I think we can take full advantage of. But I mean, in truth, at the end of the first season and in that finale, the assessment, which is that big event we've been building toward, you know, the assessment sort of ends, I think, a third of the way through the episode or halfway through because what is really important is what we have at the second half of the episode. And those are all the couples that we've created. And it was really important to us to kind of work toward building these couples throughout the entire season. Most of them just come together at that point. So that'll be a big part of our second season is what is it like for every one of these couples to move forward? You know, when one of them is Ashley and Nikki or the possibility of Mike and Todd and of course, Sarah and Reginald, and you have Maurice and Angela. Those are all our couples who are in varying stages of, of being together or not being together. And I think that'll be a central thing to what we map out as I go through the second season. 
How much are you involving uh, Johnny, the author, uh, in what you've developed for season one, what you plan to develop for future seasons? Well, Johnny, again, Johnny's great. And not just, I mean, he, he visited the writer's room and contributed actually toward the end of the process in the first season. Actually, when we went to Comic-Con in San, in San Diego, Johnny was the moderator. So he's been pretty involved in this process. And, and look, I've already gone through, you know, certain things in the second season and certain sort of um, kind of cosmological aspects of the angels and what their what the impact is and how this story is going to be told. And believe me, I'll be picking up the phone and calling Johnny shortly about <laughs> a few things that I want to clarify. Um, and he's been great. He, really, really tremendous. He loves the process. He's not someone who is kind of upset when their work is changed and the books are going to be changed. I mean, the second season, probably more than in the first, but he's really great about that process. And I think he really enjoys it. I think on one level, it's sort of a learning curve for him that he's kind of going through. But I think also he just respects it. And and like all of us, he loves the cast and, and loves the work that was done. So he's, he's an integral part of this process and will continue to be. Are you looking forward to any uh, potential in-between season uh, convention appearances? Because you mentioned Comic-Con, which is the, the great granddaddy of them all. Uh, in terms of size and everything, but it it sounds like the the fan reception at Comic Con was uh, eager, and hopefully it was they're great. still happy. <laughs> yeah, we did San Diego before the show even aired, um, because that was all the way back in July, mm-hmm. and then we did New York uh, the week after the first episode had come out. So it was interesting to see one crowd who were just anticipating and another crowd who had actually seen it. And yeah, it went very well in New York. I mean, they were really great, very, very enthusiastic. Um, and you know, it's it's I mean, it's easy for that to go to your head. We weren't in a huge room, but we were in a very nice auditorium and it's full and that's all great. And then of course you walk out into the hallway and hear the thunderous reception that Sarah Michelle Geller is getting <laughs> next door at an auditorium that's like 10 times the size of ours. Um, but I, but Comic-Con was really fun because everyone there is kind of doing and, and enjoy the same thing. And we're all in the same part of the business. And as I mentioned, Don Mancini is a friend from working on Chucky. Don was there with Chucky season two and Nick Antosca from Channel Zero, which is how I started in all of this with these guys. Uh, Nick was there because he had a show. So it was really great to see everyone. And it's sort of a fun hang. And then you just get to geek out and go, oh, there's Patton Oswald and there's Neil Gaiman. And, you know, that's for me, that's exciting just as a fan. Full disclosure, I was a huge fan of Channel Zero. Wish it had kept on, but you know, TV happens. <laughs> yeah, me too. We got more seasons than I almost expected, but that was so much fun. And working with Nick was a real pleasure. I mean, I really, I just loved it. And that's again how I met Don too. So it was that was a really good cast, um, and, a, and a really good, really good writers' room. Um, it was funny because I think there were four of us who had shows at Comic-Con, the last Comic-Con. I mean, Don did, Nick did, I did. And then a woman whose name is now currently escaping me was there with a show for herself as well. So it was wonderful. It was that, yeah, I, Channel Zero was a super fun show. You, as you can imagine, really fun to work on. So you, it's safe to say that horror is kind of your wheelhouse. It's, you know what, it's certainly become that way. I mean, way, way back, you know, I, I did a NBC Dracula show, like may have even been like 10 years ago now. But genre is always something that I really love. 
uh, whether it's more sci-fi or horror. And and so that's what I sort of focused on, whether it's a show like Dominion, which was oddly enough about angels, um, or Project Blue Book, which was about aliens. You know, those are the shows that I'm sort of attracted to and I've been lucky enough to work on. But the horror stuff has taken up a lot of my time in the last several years, starting with Channel Zero. And then, of course, Chucky, too, which was another great room to be in, man. That was super fun. Awesome. I, I wish I could pick your brain about Project Blue Book because I absolutely adored that show to you would not, uh, levels you would not believe, but uh, I love that show. History Channel. Yeah, give, yeah, us a, too- give us a movie to wrap it up. <laughs> exactly. You wanted to get that third season, but I just think the channel wasn't going to be doing as much original programming and there were a whole bunch of reasons for it. Um, but David Lowry, who created it, had such a plan from the very beginning and and for me, it was just, you know, you don't usually do it. You do research for any show you work on. Um, but for, for that, for Blue Book, it was like, oh, my God, you know, getting into that world and talking to those people and researching all that stuff. It, it, it was a, a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, I've been lucky and I, I, I've been able to work on shows that it's just it's a pleasure to be there. And, you know, running one is a lot more work, but in its <laughs> But in the end, it's even more rewarding. So that's how that worked with Reginald. Excellent. Uh, do you have a social media presence where people can keep track of your work progress? Or are you being I mean, actually awesome and staying away? Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm actually on Twitter, um, just as Harley Payton. And I've, of course, who knows what happens to Twitter yeah. now. But I'm on Twitter. And, and then my daughter actually was running my Instagram account. I mean, I, I'm not an Instagram person, but 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 that's where the most of the Reginald kind of social media stuff seems to turn up. Um, all the actors are really great about posting stuff. Sci-fi has a really good presence there as well. So I kind of started to get familiar with that as well. So, yeah, that's about it for me would be Instagram and uh, and Twitter. Awesome. Well, we will have links to those so people cool. can find you and follow you. Harley, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. And we'll be back with more Slice of Sci-Fi right after this. Pseudopod, the free horror fiction podcast brought to you by Escape Artists. It makes my bones chatter against each other and you sit up in bed. I scream as I remain a statue and then the fury in me becomes a raging, hot thing in my chest. Each week, one story told well. There, writhing in lurid agony upon the floor, was a short creature, perhaps two feet tall. It was covered with red, wire-like hair on every inch of its exposed flesh. From the most chilling and unsettling storytellers of the genre. The wind's up now, and the sackcloth is blowing in black tatters round it, making it writhe like the worms. Only, that ain't old sackcloth. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or find us on the web at pseudopod.org, and on Patreon under EA Podcasts. Hi, this is Barbara Crampton, and you're listening to Slice of Sci-Fi. Ooh, scary.
So yeah, Sci-Fi Channel is keeping me waiting. Uh, waiting on more Astrid and Lily Save the World, and now waiting on more Reginald the Vampire. So we shall see uh, when we get season two of both of those shows, and hopefully it'll be soonish that we we get some happy news. But how about you? What uh, what are your thoughts on Reginald the Vampire? Let me know. Give me a call. The number is 602-635-6976 or shoot me an email, summer at sliceofsci-fi.com or come on by the website, sliceofsci-fi.com and leave a comment in the discussion section for this episode. You can listen to Slice of Sci-Fi on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Player FM, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple or Stitcher or Podchaser, consider leaving us a review, letting folks know that you are enjoying the show and maybe they should check it out for themselves as well. You can follow us on Twitter, at Slice of Sci-Fi, yes, I will occasionally get into conversations, science fiction, horror, music, sports, some sports, baseball and soccer mostly, science, various topics. You can also find some video content over on our YouTube channel and sometimes over on sliceofsci-fi.tv. And, of course, we are looking for ways to expand the content that we're giving you. So maybe 2023 has some fun stuff in store. I'd like to thank everyone who is currently supporting Slice of Sci-Fi and all of the podcasts and websites in the Slice of Sci-Fi universe. Your donations through PayPal, your pledges through Patreon really do help keep the uh, the lights on and the bits flowing around here. So thank you. Thank you all. If you'd like to add your support, the place to go is patreon.com slash slice of sci-fi. Pick a tier, any tier, and you will become eligible for perks. Every month, I pick a winning email address out of the hat, and that person gets to choose from a book, a DVD, a Blu-ray, a 4K, uh, from review materials mostly that I get around here, and other promotional items. I can't keep them all. So, I offer them to listeners, supporters, just to make sure that they get, you know, good homes with other fans of sci-fi and horror and genre in general. Uh, If you'd like to support without committing to the monthly pledge, the link to use is paypal.me slash sci-fi summer or Kofi, ko-fi.com slash slice of sci-fi. We are still building up sliceofsci-fi.net. 
which is another pathway where you can support us buying affiliate products, stuff that we recommend that might be off the beaten trail. Might be. Keyword, might be. But uh, stuff that we have found entertaining and that might have slipped under your radar that you might want to check out for yourselves. Again, slicewithsci-fi.net. Shop there and enjoy. But that'll do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with more Slice of Sci-Fi next year. Take care. Mm -hmm.